contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt, brought to you by Bet Online. You know, football season is back. If you're looking for the place to make your wagers online for NFL, college football, there's only one place, and that's betonline.ag. You can go there today, take full advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Your promo code is PODCAST1, all caps P O D C A S T 1, and you'll get a 50% sign up bonus today. Betonline.ag. Your online sportsbook experts. This week's guest is Sally Jenkins, the esteemed writer from the Washington Post. I thought there was no one better to talk about what people were talking about this week with Serena Williams. I watched her final against Naomi Osaka. She lost the U.S. Open final, but such mired in controversy for her getting three penalties, including a game penalty that kind of put the match away for Osaka, who was wonderful herself on and off the court. So much to talk about. And we're going to do that with someone I thought was the perfect guest. She wrote about it, a column in the Washington Post, Sally Jenkins. Sally Jenkins coming up. But first, a word from Simply Safe. I'm a big fan. Home security is paramount, and Simply Safe is the way to go. If the storm takes out your power, Simply Safe. If an intruder cuts your phone line, Simply Safe is the way to go. If you destroy your keypad or sirens, Simply Safe will get you the help you need. It's, yeah, it could be overkill. But it's home security system that's always ready for any worst-case scenario. doesn't cost an arm and a leg. They only charge what's fair. 24-7 professional security monitoring is just $14.99 a month. No contracts, no hidden fees. I recommend Simply Safe to everyone I know. If you're worried about any kind of home security, Simply Safe is the way to go. So go to simplysafe.com. Slash Brandt. That's all caps. S I M P L I S A F E dot com slash Brandt. My name all caps. B R A N D T. That's simplysafe dot com slash Brandt to protect your home and family today. There's no better product. Fourteen ninety nine a month. Simplysafe dot com slash Brandt. A little different tack today on the business of sports. Sally Jenkins. This Serena match has been causing conversation, controversy, discussion, debate. Since it happened on Saturday, the women's final at the U.S. Open, you had a wonderful column on it. I'm going to give you an open mic here, sort of a landscape of what you thought of her point penalty, match penalty, conversations, how it affected everything, dealing with Carlos Ramos, the umpire. Just let you have your take here because I thought it was interesting what you wrote in the Washington Post. So go ahead. Well, I think the the chair umpire's role is, is really to just quietly steward the match uh, and make sure it remains all about the tennis. And uh, instead, Carlos Ramos really overstepped. He he issued a succession of code conduct penalties that are rare, uh, not especially coherent, and which tilted the match uh, at a critical juncture in favor of Osaka. Uh, now, Naomi Osaka was out playing Serena Williams anyway, but we've seen Serena Williams come back on numerous occasions from, from a second set uh, deficit in Grand Slam finals, and I think uh, her play was obviously beginning to pick up. And we'll never know, really, uh, what would have happened had the chair umpire not intervened uh, as significantly as he did. What's most disappointing, uh, I think, for me about it is... It's not so much that he issued a succession of penalties. 
It's that the third penalty was really so unprecedentedly harsh, uh, given what her behavior was on the court. We've seen male players destroy multiple rackets, you know, um, be incredibly profane and, uh, uh, you know, obscene with chair umpires, and they've never absorbed a penalty of an entire game at a critical juncture of a match. So that's the most disturbing part of it is what Serena Williams' behavior really so out of category that it deserved a literally unprecedented punishment. And to me, the answer to that is absolutely not. Uh, and so people who say, well, she, you know, she did violate some rules uh, are really missing the point. You know, I don't think anyone disputes that she did a couple of things worthy of a penalty, but a whole game penalty at that juncture of the match, that's an unheard of uh, severity, an unheard of, uh, you know, extreme punishment compared to other behaviors that go on in tennis all the time without that sort of penalty. Yeah, I want to talk about that third penalty and the, and the horrific nature of a game penalty in a spot like that. But let's start where you started with the first penalty. And this, to me, is a real sort of ethical point about rules in general, but specifically mm -hmm. tennis, of course, where she was penalized for coaching or given, I'm sorry, given a warning. And that started her. Um, actually, I guess yeah, it was I mean, called the built. The, Go ahead. Yeah, the, pro the problem here is it was a penalty. It was not a warning. A warning would have been appropriate. A warning okay. is what I believe he should have issued. Carlos Ramos should have issued her a warning and said, your coach is trying to signal you from the, from the box. That needs to stop. Um, and instead, what he did was immediately issue a code of conduct violation for coaching. Um, that's pretty rare. I mean, I think most people, the norm in tennis is to recognize that that rule is very inconsistent. Coaching is allowed on the women's tour. It's not allowed on the men's tour, uh, and therefore it's not allowed in a Grand Slam final. But the, the, the rules are applied very unevenly. And so, you know, I think the just and fair thing to do there is to not impose that penalty in a Grand Slam final. He made a different decision, uh, fine. Uh, he decided to throw the book at her on it. Uh, you could ask why. I think someone should ask him why. Um, but the fact of the matter is that there was a rule. He was entitled to enforce it if he saw fit. It's, it's why he saw fit that is the question. Thanks, Sally. Before I get back to the podcast, fascinating look at Serena and what happened this weekend. Here's a word from Lightstream. Have you ever looked at your credit card statement and been shocked by the interest rate? You do, do you even know that credit card debt can be rolled into one monthly payment at a lower fixed interest rate? Well, here you go. Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.89% APR with auto pay. It's lower than the average credit card interest rate. You get a loan of 5000 to 100000 You even get your funds immediately the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate. They should be rewarded for that. And no fees. Lightstream also, fun fact, plants a tree with every loan they fund. So my listeners get a special discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way to get this discount is go to lightstream.com slash bizofsports, B-I-Z-O-F-S-P-O-R-T-S. Lightstream.com slash bizofsports, all caps. Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash bizofsports for more information. Lightstream.com. 
we talk about so many kind of unwritten codes in sports and the brush back pitch and baseball, all these kind of things that, again, this, this sort of phrase of unwritten code. Listen, everyone about this incident has talked about coaching that happens all the time. Chris Everett, yeah, coach is coach. And Patrick, the coach of Serena, said, yes, I was coaching. But so was Sasha, the coach for Naomi. And so, so was Nadal's coach the whole match. So I guess my question is, do you think there was some inherent bias against Serena or her coach from this I mean, referee? I, I, what was the reason that this happened? I mean, I think it's a good question, and I think it needs to be asked. I think uh, the governing bodies of tennis, both men's tennis and women's tennis, need to question this guy very, very closely and ask, what's your rationale? Right now, uh, he, he, his defenders are hiding behind the, the, the rule book itself. Well, it's a rule, it's on the books, uh, and he simply was following right. the letter of the law. Um, but, you know, we all know that, that uh, there are norms, you know, to use a word that's been employed so much in the last year. Uh, there are norms, you know, in law enforcement, there are norms, there are uh, judges follow certain norms, and, and so do officials and referees in sporting events. And what happened in this match was the norms were really, really violated. And so it, it doesn't matter that there was a specific rule on the books that could justify the harshness of his penalty. Uh, the, the question is why did he inflict uh, a, a level of harshness on her and no other player experiences that. Well, I guess my question is, should we even have the rule? I mean, if no one's enforcing the rule, why is the rule there? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think coaching was only called maybe three times in the entire U.S. Open. I mean, literally hundreds of matches. You know, that's, that's how seldom it is enforced. Uh, I, you know, look, that's a question. That's a separate question. Should that rule go away? I mean, I think it should. It's, it's really odd that there's this rule that says, well, you can accept coaching. Your coach can visit the court and c consult with you you know, on X number of occasions and X number of situations, yeah. but he can't coach from the box. Well, that's totally incoherent. I mean, that yes. doesn't make any sense, and it's obviously a rule that needs to be fixed. And as a result of this situation, uh, no doubt it will be fixed. But did it really have to take this? I mean, that, that's what's so unfortunate is, uh, yeah, I'm sure there'll be some revision of the rules now that this unfortunate situation has happened, but... That doesn't do anything for Naomi Osaka or Serena Williams. That doesn't get it back, you know. So that's the. Do you think part. there's a bias against Serena, and for whatever reason, for her dominating do. play, for her attitude, for whatever it is? I'm, I, yeah. I just wonder. I do. I do. I, you know, she didn't do anything. I mean, I'm not defending all of her behavior. You break a racket, there should be a penalty for that. Uh, you know, if you use audible obscenities and profanities, there should be a penalty for that. She did not do the latter. There was no cussing. There was no threatening or menacing. She was a very loud black woman, is what she was, and an angry one. That was her offense, ultimately. That was let me let me play devil's advocate and I'm not defending the umpire, but she would not let it go. So the thief no. and then <laughs> no, you stole it to me. I guess yeah. my question is if a man would not have let that go or another woman, do you think the same would apply? I do not. And I've said that. I, I've written, I do not believe the same would have applied to a man. And in fact, all you have to do to, is go to YouTube and you can see. Uh -huh. Countless umpteen videos of male tennis players 
haranguing referees, unable to let something go, hot under the collar on every changeover uh, for, you know, sustained arguments with umpires. The breaking of multiple rackets, not just one racket, but I mean, there's instances where players have broken two and three rackets. You know, Djokovic has destroyed two rackets and played on, uh, you know, basically without this sort of penalty. Roger Federer, you know, was cursing at an umpire and destroyed a racket, played on without this sort of penalty. I mean, I covered a match with Andre Agassi where he called the chair umpire an SOB, uh, threw around the F word, and then spit and, and hit the chair umpire's leg with his spit and played on without penalty. So th- there are just too many examples of really, really, really egregious conduct that went unpenalized to this level. And then you, you watch the replay of Serena Williams and you go, well, you know, she broke a racket, yeah, and she argued with the chair ump, yeah. You know, how, how is that unprecedentedly bad behavior? And the answer is it's not. Sexism and racism, you think that's at play here? I think it's a hot mix of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do. I think it's a, you know, it, it, look, she was essentially treated like John McEnroe. She was treated like uh, someone whose behavior was so out of category bad uh, that you had to take the entire tournament away from her. Uh, the last time we really saw someone treated this way, it was McEnroe back in the 90s, and he was finally thrown out of an Australian Open uh, because he was basically telling the uh, tournament supervisor, not just the chair umpire, to, to go F his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really kind of the last straw of years of misconduct by McEnroe. Uh, Serena Williams is not that. She's had her issues on the court. I mean, I was the first one to call for her suspension back in 2009 when she told a lineswoman she should shove the ball down her throat. You can't, you can't threaten uh, an umpire or a referee or a linesman, and that's what she did. I should shove this ball right down your throat is what she said mm-hmm. when she was called for a footfall. Completely unacceptable, you know. I don't think anyone is disputing that there are some things that, that should be penalized. Uh, to to that degree, but it didn't happen here. I mean, the it's almost like she was paying for the past, you know, for some behavior back in 2009. Um, you know, I, I again, that's why I think the governing bodies, the alphabet soup, need to really question Carlos Ramos closely about his rationale for these penalties, because yeah. I got the feeling he was laying in wait for her a little bit. I mean, he hits her with that coaching penalty. And then he hits her with the broken racket penalty, which he uh, had to do. But now he knows it's two strikes against her. He knows he's got her right at the precipice. And instead of issuing a warning and doing what most chair umpires would have done, which is to say, listen, you know, you've got two code conduct violations now, a third one. If I have to give you a third one, it means you lose a game. Instead of doing that, he just nailed her. He pushed her right off the cliff. And it looked personal to me. It did. And when she brought out the tournament referee, uh, the two of them walked out there, you could hear audibly on the microphone that something about this always happens here. Now, I, I know you referenced the 2009 event where she was in the fault, but you think there was there's something bigger here with the U.S. Open and her? Because she just referenced that a couple times. This always happens yeah, here or something like I, that. I don't. I mean, I understand why she might feel that way. Uh, she feels like she's been uh, penalized unduly harshly for certain things. I mean, the, the foot fault thing in 2009, 
you know, again, it's a ticky-tacky call. You can make it on uh, any number of players on any number of occasions. And to do it to a player in a, in a big match at the U.S. Open, you know, it's kind of like calling holding in the NFL. Um, you know, it's the sort of call that uh, really, really disrupts a player, disrupts their rhythm. So she got incredibly angry about it and felt it was a, a very, very unjust call. She's, you know, she's not the type of player who actually uh, seeks to abuse the footfall rule in tennis. She's yeah. not the biggest serve anyone ever saw. A footfall is actually not a determining factor in her serve. It really isn't. And so it was a, you know, I can understand her upset over that call. Now, she has to get a grip on herself, and she didn't on that occasion. Right. Uh, she just let it, she let the engine run way too hot and out of control and did something truly, truly um, egregious and nasty and deserved the penalty. I think she paid a record fine for it. I thought she should have been thrown out of the tournament and suspended on that occasion. I don't think you can physically menace an official. Uh, that's, that's 2009. She's actually, you know, from watching her, she's worked really, really hard uh, to gain self-command on the court, and she's become an extremely restrained and gracious uh, player, uh, very generous and uh, gracious in, in victory and defeat. I think uh, I credit her for a lot of hard self-work on that subject. And uh, just like Andre Agassi, Andre Agassi became a really wonderful competitor and, and really outlived his, you know, his bratty years and um, spitting at umpires. So, you know, uh, there's some backstory there at the U.S. Open for her, sure, that made her, I think, feel a little uh, persecuted and prejudged. Uh, again, it's her job to gain command of her temper and herself in the moment. Um, I thought she was fairly successful at doing that. You know, she, she does keep it up with the umpire, but I think she uh -huh. really thought she was doing it within the rules. I think she thought that she was within the bounds of a legitimate argument with the chair umpire. And what happens now? She got the three penalties, and that's it? I mean, uh, is there a, a, I think, a I think aftermath to this? Go ahead. I'm sorry? Is there an aftermath beyond her three penalties, or I'm sorry, fines that come out of this? Where does this go from here? You know, I think it'll go into some revisiting of the coaching rule. Uh, I think that behind the scenes, I think out front, the International Tennis Federation has to support their chair umpire. But I think behind the scenes, there'll be a lot of discussion inside tennis about uh, whether he uh, is overly strict in his interpretation of the rules and abused his authority, uh, whether it was personal. Um, you know, I think that uh, it'll probably result in maybe some honing of the rules a little bit to give chair umpires a little less latitude and discretion. Right. Um, you, you know, it, 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 he should not have been able to dock her a full game for, for behavior that included no obscenity or profanity or any form of menace. Simply annoying the chair umpire, um, simply making the chair umpire, um, you know, feel harassed, that's not good enough for tilting an entire match. And we haven't even talked about the effect on Naomi Osaka, who I thought played beautifully and handled it beautifully. And what a tough spot she was put in. It was just, it kind of resonates with me, her acceptance speech of the of the winning trophy and award that she's sorry to end it like this. And she apologized 
to the crowd. It was just yeah, a touching moment was, and sad for her. She was a beautiful player and a, a beautiful kid in the moment. And really, uh, I thought the behavior of all the people at the trophy presentation really rescued an, a very ugly moment. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that uh, Osaka was very, very graceful and gracious, and I thought that Serena, uh, I think, felt... I mean, it was a very loaded, difficult, intense situation for everybody, and there was really only one person who could have gotten control of the crowd and changed that moment, and it was Serena Williams, and she did it. Uh, She showed a great deal of awareness and awareness of situational awareness, uh, a situational awareness the chair umpire never showed, uh, but getting control of the situation and saying, you know, no booing. This is Osaka's moment. Uh, she played a great match. She's a great champion. Uh, and then I thought Chris Everett really helped. I don't know if you noticed, but Chris Everett was part of the trophy presentation. Right. She, uh, after Serena had put her arm around Osaka and congratulated her, uh, Chris put her arm around Osaka and then bowed to her. Uh, hmm. And uh, really, I think, showed you know, a tremendous amount of sort of deference um, to the new champion. And, you know, all of that, I think, helped calm the crowd, helped calm the moment, helped return the moment uh, to being all about tennis, which is which is where it had always needed to stay. I think that's well said. And, and I guess you have seen the caricature in, I believe it's an Australian paper. Yeah. About Serena stomping yeah. and... Uh, I know the author is defending it against any racist overtones, but that seems hard to defend. I mean, you just look at the image and you go, you know, of course that's what this was all about, you know. I mean, look, it's about the acceptable range of female behavior, what some people still view as the, um, what should be the limit on on, uh, female behavior. It's about whether women are allowed to express anger in public and in competitive work situations. But also, it's about whether black women are allowed to express uh, anger and frustration in competitive situations, you know? I mean, there's a lot at stake in this match. I mean, $3 million, a piece of history, uh, Margaret Court's all-time record, that's gone forever. And if you see it slipping away and you feel you're being in some way uh, punished with undue harshness, you do get plenty upset. You know, and uh, that doesn't excuse Serena Williams in the instance. Uh, but I really do firmly believe that no other player would have had to absorb the penalty that she absorbed. Seems like Serena and Venus have been dealing with this a long time. I know there was some ugliness at Indian Wells years ago. Um, you know, I, I guess my final point is this kind of yeah. this really cements legacy even further, right? When we look back on the dominance. It's dominance in dealing. Now we're not in the 1950s or 60s. I get it, but it's dominance dealing with this as a side part to it as well, isn't it? Well, they've been accused of cheating in one form or another their entire careers. First, mm-hmm. they were accused of trying to sort of rig the draws, which is what led to the Indian Wells thing. You know, they were everyone was accusing that family of trying to somehow, uh, you know, avoid each other and avoid draws where they might have to play each other too early and pulling out of tournaments and trying to manipulate sort of their playing schedules, you know, complete nonsense. Uh, What did it matter? You know, then, you know, more lately you've had Serena Williams being drug tested five times in a single month. Again, completely unprecedented compared to other players, you know, really out of category treatment for her. 
uh, because the tennis establishment has always viewed her with very cool suspicion on a number of fronts. And this is just one more. Uh, you know, I, I, again, I don't defend breaking rackets or haranguing referees, but I do object to penalties that are completely out of proportion to the offense and how other players are treated. See, that's what I don't get. Um, You you know, we're on the business of sports podcast, and we talk about the tennis establishment doing that. A tennis establishment needs her. She's like Tiger in golf. I mean, who is going to watch women's tennis absent Serena for a good part of the population? That's what I don't get. Well, that's Billie Jean King's argument, you know, and yet, you know, women's tennis does have a history of sort of being suspicious of the new, you know, the great great player. I mean, Billie Jean was a controversial figure Mm. because she was a politically active and a feminist, and then Martina Navratilova was not, not by any stretch the traditional female heroine, you know, obviously gay and uh, also politically active. Uh, you know, Chris Everett was the ideal, you know, the Chris America, um, a role that she actually played great, and she's, you know, <laughs> as Chris would tell you, uh, you know, Billie Jean and Martina, they, they all needed each other, you know, right. and they all supported each other in building the women's tennis tour. And then, you know, here comes, after Steffi Groff, here comes Serena, and, uh, you know, she's new. She's like very much like Billie Jean or Navratilova. She's just something new. She's a new version of strength, and she makes people uncomfortable. And you look at that cartoon in Australia, and you have to conclude she makes people uncomfortable in a really disturbing way. Yeah. Sal, this has been great. Going into some deeper issues here with this Serena event happening on Saturday, it just caused so much reaction and and so much thought for me. I thought you'd be the perfect person to talk about it. And, of course, you will. Repeat guest on the Business Sports Podcast, Sally Jenkins. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Really hope you enjoyed that podcast with Sally Jenkins. Just the best person to talk about Serena and things going on with her that are bigger than what happened in the match. Some racism, some sexism, all wrapped into uh, the treatment of Serena Williams in the final. Again, not to take anything away from Naomi Osaka, who was wonderful, gracious, beautiful player, and she's the future of that girl. So impressed with her on and off the court. This episode has been brought to you by Bet Online. You know, this is the place to go for wagering. We're, re- we're here now. It's college, it's NFL, it's right on the money. Don't take any longer to make your online wagers. Head over to betonline.ag. Take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Use promo code PODCAST1. You receive a 50% sign-up bonus today. That's PODCAST1. Receive a 50% sign-up bonus. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts and the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Huge matchups every weekend now in the NFL and college. Get in on the action once again. Sign up today. BetOnline.ag. Promo code PODCAST1. You get a 50% bonus when you sign up. Take advantage of this incredible offer. BetOnline.ag. That's BetOnline.ag. Your online sportsbook experts. Thanks for listening to The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.